0: On today's Locked On Jayhawks, we're joined by Scott Chasen to talk the KU offense, KU defense, and the running back position. I'm Derek Johnson. You can hear me as well on Rock Chalk Sports Talk Monday through Friday from 3 to 6 on KLWN in Lawrence. Thanks for making Locked On Jayhawks your first listen every day. We are free and available wherever you get your podcasts. On today's edition of Locked On Jayhawks, we're joined by Scott Chasen of Booth Review with Kansas City Sports Network to... Further talk KU football, kind of dive into what we have more questions or answers about between the offense or the defense after the last game. Maybe some TCU talk a little bit as well, and what KU does now at the running back position with the injury to Daniel Hyshaw. But first, today's episode is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online has you covered this season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online, where the game starts. Scott Chasen you can also catch him on Booth Review with Kansas City Sports Network joins us now and it was weird because on one hand it's I mean you've certainly been someone who has been a proponent that the defense is close to turning a corner and that they maybe are better than the stats might indicate and that they have been getting better and then you have the Iowa State game and it was great and that was maybe the uh, I guess summation of all that stuff but then we do come away from that game with questions about, well, what do we make of the offense there? So did you come out of that game with more questions about the offense or more answers about the defense?
1: Well, that's a really good question um, because I, I still obviously feel way better about the offense than the defense. Um I'd say probably a slight lean to more questions about the offense. And, and the only reason I'd say this is like, I, I don't think the defense now is going to allow, you know, 10 points a game the rest of the year. Like the Kansas is not going to turn into Georgia, but Derek, you're right. What what I had kind of talked about going into this game was if you pulled up a box score and just looked at yards and points, which are important numbers, obviously you would say the KU defense is absolute trash and terrible, and they're not good. But situationally, they had been good. And I would argue situationally great um, In at certain times. I mean, West Virginia, right? First half, disaster. They give up a touchdown on every drive. And then what happened when they came out in the second half? They were awesome. They were shut down for, I think they allowed three points on three possessions or something like that. That's terrific. Same thing with Houston. KU goes on a 42-7 to run. How do you go on a 42-7 to run? Well, you got to score 42 points, but you also have to not give up points while well, your offense is doing that. And against Duke, I thought the defense was was really, really good. I mean, think about the first drive of that game. KU gets stuffed fourth and goal at the one-yard line, right? And if the Kansas defense allows Duke to get three, four first downs and punts the ball right back, that Kansas offense is in a bad position. No, the Kansas defense got them to go three and out. Kansas defense also got the big stop at the end of the game, and penalties were the only reason why they weren't even better. So I, I feel the same as I do about the defense, which is they're not great. They're the weakness of this team. But situationally they can step up and they can do enough to frustrate an opponent at times especially with like jacoby bryant kenny logan very long answer but then i would say on the offense the thing the i don't have questions about does it or does it not work i i won't even question the play calling KU only ran 40 something plays which is far too few to develop any kind of a rhythm so i i'm not gonna second guess any of the calls they did make because if they got first downs and they got to open up the bag a little bit more, I think that's when you see them get into some of the more creative stuff. Um, I more want to know in the short term with an impossibly tough four-game stretch coming up, can they immediately snap back and bounce back and get into that rhythm and be in the high 30s to 40s week after week after week? Because I think they're gonna, they're definitely going to need that to, to beat TCU, probably going to need that to beat Oklahoma. And then against Baylor and Oklahoma State, you have to execute at a crazy high clip to score on those defenses. So um, these next four weeks are really going to stress and test the KU offense. And I think you have right to be a little bit nervous if you're a KU fan.
0: Yeah, I I think the offense for me definitely makes it a little worrisome into the TCU game specifically, because Mm -hmm. like you said with TCU, the defense could play a good game for Kansas and TCU might put up in the 30s. So Kansas is going to have to score points to keep pace with the Horn Frogs in this one. And TCU's actually like had a pretty good defense so far. Now it's it's tough to totally tell how much of it is just their first two games or Colorado and Tarleton State. But they still <laughs> held Oklahoma to 24 points. Now, again, I don't, I don't think we have a great idea of what Oklahoma really is at this point because um, they just look bad, but there clearly is still a lot of talent on that team. So I, I guess for me it was good to see that from the defense – But I'm a little bit, I I guess to answer that question in the same way I kind of asked you about, do I have more questions for the offense or more answers for the defense? I have more questions for the offense because I think there is a lot of pressure on them to perform at the same level they were early in the season, like you said, for this upcoming stretch and specifically this Saturday
1: against TCU. Yeah, and when we talk about like situational defense too, like if the Kansas defense gets two stops in the first half, TCU could still score 21 points, but you'd be like, great, they got two stops. That's two opportunities for now, the offense to go and do something. Um, You know, they'll need to do that over both halves. And I I don't think two stops will be enough. Just to be clear, they'll need to be play better than that. But Derek, I watched the OU TCU game and TCU does something that will challenge KU. And it's also just really, really fun. Um, I wrote down the numbers. I hope I still have them somewhere. I do. Um, TCU in the first quarter against Oklahoma, took four deep shots that was that were no more complicated than a one-on-one ball on a go route where they basically, you know, Max Duggan just threw the ball up and dared his extremely athletic wide receiver where basically said, go make a play against their cornerback. They got three defensive pass interferences and one touchdown out of that in the first quarter alone. For the first half, they did it six times, where basically they just had a receiver on one side of the field, get one-on-one coverage, go deep, and just throw something over the top to them. Now, KU's defense has been really good at limiting explosive plays. They haven't been great overall in the year, but what they have done is limit a lot of those deep shots, especially in the run game too. So, I mean, that's the matchup to me. If you're Kansas, you can't let Romello Dotson end up on an island against one of these receivers and let Max Duggan just throw it up because those receivers are big and physical and athletic and talented. And I think I mentioned this on my, on uh, you know, booth review, that's the difference between TCU scoring 28 or 31 ish points versus like 56 points when they take those two or three shots a game is it going to be like Oklahoma again three defensive pass interferences and a touchdown in the first quarter alone or is it going to be something where you have help over the top and maybe you give up one or two pass interferences for the game I think that makes a huge difference
0: well I think one thing from watching that TCU game too I can't tell you how many times TCU had a play where like it was just like a blown coverage or yeah. it was a guy just taking like a horrible angle. I think there was one running play where the guy went like straight up the gut and I think it was the safety or the linebacker like took one of the worst angles you'll ever see and like didn't <laughs> even touch him on the play. So, it's it's weird because TCU clearly has a really good offense and they have this ultimate athletic, uh, you know, just across the board at every skill position kind of prototype where everybody is fast and it seems like all these receivers a lot of them have height and all this stuff and on the the same point to what you've been talking about where KU like has actually done a good job at limiting explosive plays do you think KU could actually find some success on the defensive end in this game because i think to this point max duggan has been so so good for TCU but he hasn't really been you know put to a test he hasn't really been put to third downs or pressured a ton in a game and he has shown signs in his career that sometimes he can be a little bit inconsistent Uh, We saw him, I think, throw one or two interceptions against KU
1: last year. What do you kind of make of that matchup headed into this week? Well, he was more inconsistent in the second half when Oklahoma kind of started to get to him. And I would agree. I thought Oklahoma was terrible. Um, I know Kent and I agreed on that on, on our show. And it was just funny because the announcers were praising how Brent Venables is kind of like chilled out and he doesn't feel the need to like overcoach the defense, but then like two or three of those breakdowns happened and he was not chilled out anymore. He was screaming, leading huddles, getting them all together. So um, yeah, I mean, look, go back to the Iowa state game, right? Um, How did Iowa state move the ball on Kansas? Well, they had a lot of those shallow crossers where Kansas basically said, fine, get Xavier Hutchinson the ball. We know he's an NFL wide receiver, but you're going to get him the ball four yards from the line of scrimmage, not 40. And then our defense, Craig Young, Kenny Logan, these guys will rally and make a tackle. And I'm sure KU fans were pulling their hair out when Iowa State kept moving the ball down the field and down the field and down the field. But even if you give Iowa State all those field goal attempts that you know they attempted and missed, okay, Iowa State scores 20 points, you know, for the game. I, if you're Kansas, really 19 because of the wacky two-point conversion play. If you're Kansas and I told you you were going to play a Big 12 team and give up 19 points, I, you'd be ecstatic. You'd be thrilled. You would want to, uh, you know, put up a statue for the defense. So, um, I, again, I think it's interesting because if KU can continue to do that and limit explosives, then I think they've got a legitimate chance. They, um, you know, showed a, a propensity to bring a ton of pressure against Hunter Deckers. Um To me, the way KU played against Hunter Deckers kind of showed him not like a lack of respect, but they were basically like, we're going to rush you. We're going to come after you and we're going to dare you to beat us because we don't think you're good enough to do that. You know, that's at least my interpretation of it. I don't know that you can totally get away with that in this game, but I think as long as you limit explosives, you get pressure. If you can do it with four grade, if five, whatever. um, I think Ku has a shot just because the run defense for Kansas has been. I mean, great this year. I, I don't know if that's too strong. They're holding teams basically in like the threes of yards per carry, which for college is pretty massive. So, um, yeah, I, th- I think they've got a chance. I think it maybe plays into what they want to do some, but that all goes out the window if a receiver gets by, you know, Jacoby Bryant or Romelo Dotson on the first play of the game and scores an 80 yard touchdown. And then you're kind of looking for answers.
0: We've got Scott's worst coaching decisions of the week coming up here. Next, though, I want to discuss the running back position after the Daniel Hyshaw injury. We'll keep it locked here on Locked on Jayhawks. Our partners at Nissan have worked with us to create a new segment across the Locked on College Network titled Thrilling Moments, where we highlight the most exciting play from the KU football game over the weekend or throughout the history of our alma mater. This week's thrilling moment from the KU football game has to be the Kenny Logan knockout on the hit against Xavier Hutchinson. Xavier Hutchinson working up the left sideline. KU's up 14 to 11. If he catches that, KU's now in comeback mode, and they're trying to come back against the defense that has stifled them offensively throughout that game. Xavier Hutchinson. All-Big 12 type receiver. He ends up the game with 13 catches and probably going to be like an All-American to some degree for Iowa State. Has it in his hands. Kenny Logan's safety comes from over the top. Hits him at the front pylon of the end zone. Knocks the ball clean. It was a clean hit. And it was the play of the game. Kept them out of the end zone. And they missed the field goal. And KU ends up surviving the game. I think that was the second of three missed field goals for Iowa State. Big time from Kenny Logan. This segment has been inspired by the thrilling new designs featured across Nissan's new lineup of vehicles. Pursue what thrills you in the all-new Frontier, Armada, or Pathfinder today. Available now at NissanUSA.com. Daniel Highshaw injured. Haven't heard like an official report from KU. Certainly some of the people who have mentioned some stuff. I know Nick, who comes on this show once a week, mentioned that he's out for the season. I think he said dislocated hip, which that's got to be brutal to kind of go through that sounds very painful which makes sense given Daniel Hyshaw was like carted off the field and everything so the aftermath for this from a KU perspective is I mean you still have Devin Neal as the guy we haven't seen a ton of Savion Morrison and Kai Thomas but I think both are capable even Tory Lachlan I think could maybe step up here a little bit more Um, I, I guess how do you view it first of all like do you think this becomes more of a Devin Neal just is the bell cow now and is taking over more of the carries or do you think one of those other guys is going to be able to kind of fill into that role
1: I think Kai Thomas gets a chance to reintroduce himself to this KU offense um I, I think Savion Morrison, given the chances, has been okay, but he does something so different just because he's more of that like kind of speedster gadget guy, you know, your Dexter McCluster, D'Anthony Thomas, just to give a couple Chiefs examples. Um, and his role is a little bit different. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it gives Kai Thomas a chance. I'll tell you what, um, I bet KU is especially glad now that Daniel Hyshaw emerged like he did because when Kai Thomas got banged up or whatever, quote lower extremity issue he's been dealing with. Um, you know, that that allowed KU to just rest him, right? And hold him out and say, okay, you're not, you know, we don't, we don't need you right now. Get healthy. And now it sounds like he's probably going to get a much bigger workload. So yeah, I would expect Devin Neal to continue to be the guy. I would expect a little bit of Kai Thomas. And uh yeah, Savion Morrison where where possible. I think where it hurts you is Daniel High had two great blitz pickups in the last game. You lose a little bit of that uh, you know, of that pass blocking ability and then also you know he is this team's power runner and he fills that role very well I think other guys can do it but I don't think anyone can do it as well as him um and then maybe you say on the flip side of that he's fumbled a lot right he's fumbled in the red zone a lot so maybe that's one area where it helps you but um no I think this team's a lot better with Daniel Highshot. I think it's a big loss but um I think KU can definitely overcome it with a good Kai Thomas and a good Savion Morrison.
0: Yeah, so I I definitely think we will see more of Morrison and and Kai Thomas especially. But Daniel or, or Devin Neal has 49 carries this year, which through five games is less than 10 carries per game. So I don't think it's going to be an automatic like, hey, if both Devin Neal and Daniel Hyshaw were, if there were 20 carries to go around, each of them were getting 10 or one of them was getting 11. The other was getting nine. I think it could be something where Devin Neal gets more carries out of this. I think if there's, again, if we go with just 20 carries out of instance, I think instead of Devin Neal getting 10 or 11 and the, uh, the, whoever they deem to be the second guy getting, you know, 9 or 10 as well, I think it's maybe Devin Neal gets 14 or 15, and now maybe that second guy gets 5 or 6. But I really wouldn't discount Tory Lachlan getting a lot more run here. I mean, he's, I, I think I tweeted this out on the game on Saturday. Like, you could make the argument he's made the, the biggest play in the game on three of the five KU games. Now, I, I said that the Kenny Logan hit was the, the biggest play of this game against yeah. Iowa State, but you could argue that it was Tory Lachlan recovering the muffed punt. Same with the West Virginia game, um, the big touchdown against Houston that, that really started to kind of put you away in that one. Um, he's made big plays, and the one thing about Tory Lachlan that I remember the most from last year when he was coming in as a running back was that he was that guy. He was the guy that what you mentioned with Daniel Highshaw picking up the pass protection, picking up blitzers coming on and doing a good job of that, those are kind of the two guys that circle. I think Devin Neal's going to get it up in carries. I think Tory Lachlan's getting it more playing time. Certainly, Kai Thomas and Savio Morrison will benefit, but I don't think it's automatically just going to be to the level of what Daniel Hyshaw was getting.
1: Well, I'll tell you why I think Tory Lachlan has the best chance to see a bigger role, and that's because what he can do in the passing game as well. Um, just as a receiver, you've already seen one play this year where they used him as a receiver out of a... Uh, not like a full house formation, I don't know, uh, just a loaded backfield where you've got three guys back there and he comes out, runs a, you know, basically a go route and all of a sudden he's open for a touchdown because the safeties were crashing. I think that was in that Houston game. So um, yeah, I mean, uh, look, I'm a Tory Lachlan guy. I wrote a a piece on him, you know, I, I think at this point it would have been like a year ago, just about his journey to KU in the first place and how you know, maybe the Beatty staff had a plan to use him. I don't know. But the Les Miles staff, I mean, they knew he was a good player. They just didn't know how they could get him on the field. You know, they were trying to figure out the ways. Um, you know, he had three touchdowns last year. The this, this staff has kind of looked to use those kind of like gadget player has like a negative connotation. But I mean that in a positive way, like he can fill a lot of roles. He can do a lot of creative things. So, yeah, if it's pass blocking, receiving, and he's going to be your third down type of guy, then I think that that adds an element to this offense. Um, that I think could really help. But I will say this, just on on the Daniel Hyshaw note, Daniel Hyshaw allowed some extra creativity. I mean, he was a high school quarterback. He had that play where it was a direct snap, uh, zone read, handoff fake to Jalen Daniels. I don't know if there was more out of that. Um, Daniel Hyshaw, like for all the running back depth KU had, I think he checked the most individual boxes of like things that this guy is best at without maybe even being their best overall running back. Like I I still think that was Devin Neal, but I I think that's where this really hurts just because you can do so many creative things with Daniel Hyshaw that I don't know if the trust is there yet for the KU staff to do it with the other guys. And so it'll be really interesting to see, you know, can a Kai Thomas, can a Savion Morrison earn some of that trust? Same with Tori Lachlan, because that'll help open up the playbook too. All right, real quick, we're gonna
0: to get to your worst coaching decisions in a moment here. But uh Victor Webanyama went off in that like exhibition game the other night. Seven foot four center. If you don't know who this is, look him up. He's yeah. gonna be the number one pick of the twenty twenty three draft. Dribbling yeah. mobile center shoots threes like off yeah. the off of movement, like off of screens, dribbling, all sorts of stuff. He's he's unbelievable. If Victor I, I'm just gonna say Victor because I, I feel like I'm mispronouncing the last name. <laughs> if he was on the KU men's basketball team, for Mm -hmm. this upcoming season do they go undefeated
1: yes uh national player of the year national champion no doubt in my mind um and it's not because like maybe undefeated is a stretch i thought you were gonna ask if they win the title and so i kind of jumped on it but um here's the thing he's like a better chet holmgren and chet holmgren was like i mean that's not me that's not like my magical basketball opinion that's like if someone had never seen him play and they were like describe him you'd be like Imagine if Chet Holmgren were taller and better on offense and maybe better on defense. I mean, like this guy has been talked about for years is like when he's draft eligible, he's going to be the number one guy. Seven for impossible length. One play he's dribbling the ball up the court, doing a spin move and laying it in. He's hitting step back threes from NBA range. He had this Kevin Durant dribble move corner three. Yeah, I mean, magically, if you got him eligible and put him on KU, he would be the no doubt center of this team and if he stayed healthy, it would be impossible to score, I mean, imagine Joel Embiid Jeff with defensive impact, but also that guy can, you know, dribble between his legs a bunch of times and hit step back threes. Like at a good rate, it's impossible to overstate how good this guy is as a prospect. Yeah. He will be the number one pick in the draft. There's no debate, no discussion about it this year. And he's seven, four. He's a seven, four guy dribbling the ball up the court. It's absolutely unbelievable. Look up the highlights. If you haven't seen it. Um, that was my first time watching him. I'd only read about him and heard about him. Um, Yeah, it took like 30 seconds for me to be like, oh, my God, this guy is is absolutely up next. He's incredible. I feel like he's going to get drafted and like immediately be a top 20 player in the NBA. Yeah, Someone asked me the question. uh, It was Evan Riggs, who I went to college with. I know Derek, you did, too. and, And we used to host a podcast together. He asked, how many players in the NBA do you think would be off limits in a one on one trade for him? And I said, like, maybe 40, maybe. And he was like, I don't know if that's the answer. He's like, it might be closer to 20. Like, there might be 20 players in the NBA you wouldn't trade for, you know, straight up for the number one pick in the draft this year. And, like, I I, I mean, anyone can become a bust. It happens all the time in the NBA. But, like, oh, my God, you watch this guy, and it's just like, if, if he hits, you're talking about a generational once-in-a-lifetime talent, and that's, that's pretty cool. All
0: right, we're going to take another break. When we come back, worst coaching decisions of the week. BetOnline.net is your number one source for football betting information this season. Find all of the latest player developments, team matchups, news, podcasts, and in-depth articles and analysis on every game you can find. And as always, BetOnline remains your continued source for all your sport wagering information with live betting and up-to-the-minute scores for every sport out there. The fastest and easiest way to check in on all your favorite games and events, including MLB, MMA, boxing, and golf. Head to betonline.net or use your mobile device to learn more. BetOnline released their odds for the next Wisconsin head coach, Jim Leonard, the favorite. The defense coordinator taking over his interim. I mean, he's very widely renowned. He's two to one odds. Bill O'Brien, three to one odds. Next, Lance Leipold in third at five to one odds. He seemed to quell any of those questions though at his latest media press conference. We've seen other coaches, you know, not necessarily say because you can't. You can't say, "Hey, I'm, I'm." I'm going to go to that school if they offer me the job. It just it loses the locker room and everything, and you're in the middle of the season, so you can't do that. So it's not, you know, a full-on maybe straight answer. You just don't know. But I think Lance Leipold has kind of answered this every way across the way that he makes you feel like he wants to stay at Kansas. So I would not be taking the Lance Leipold bet there. I think I'd go Jim Leonard on those odds at 2-1. to one. Bet online where the game starts. So you texted me before... We got rolling on this that you were kind of changing the game for the worst coaching decisions of the week. So I'm excited to hear what you have done here and and who the candidates are this week.
1: Yeah, well, so the problem this week was that Matt Campbell made the worst coaching decision of the week. And it was just like so obviously the wrong coaching decision that I thought instead of having three candidates, although I I did do three candidates because, you know, I I believe very much in the sanctity of this, this assignment you've tasked me with. I thought we could do the four reasons why it was the worst coaching decisions of the week. And then you can pick the reason why Matt Campbell's coaching decision was the worst. So does that work for you?
0: Yes, let's do it.
1: Okay. So real quick, honorable mention, Zach Taylor kicked a field goal on fourth and goal at the one that was going to be one of them. Um, it was like a one score game. Nathaniel Hackett, honorable mention uh, there. They didn't go for two when they were down three. Then the other team scored a touchdown, put the game away. You can go for two, cut it to one. Then if the other team scores a touchdown, you're still in the game. Anyway. Okay. Those are the honorable mentions. Here's Matt Campbell. So I'll set this up for everybody. Ball was about at the 20 yard line. There was about a minute left. They ran the clock down and kicked the field goal. Now it was fourth and one. Um, At the time, Iowa State was down by three, so a field goal ties the game, but then obviously, you know, a lot of other stuff happens. KU gets a chance to go down the field, there's overtime, there's all that. So here are four reasons why that that field goal was just a, a horrible decision, some analytics, some not. Okay, number one, Iowa State's freshman kicker had hit two field goals off the post. OK, so that dude's confidence was not good to go attempt a game tying. If you miss this, we lose type of field goal. Um, very hard. He he basically threw his kicker under the bus. He put him in a a very tough situation that if he missed that, everyone was going to say, well, our kicker sucks. That's why we lost the game. Um, so that's reason one. Number two, Derek, do you know how you win a game in overtime?
0: You score a touchdown. I don't know. There's many ways to win a game in overtime.
1: OK. You get the ball at the 25 yard line and you have to go score and then you stop the other team from the 25 yard line okay that's where they had the ball so if they just tried to go score then they wouldn't have to worry about stopping ku which is the other half of overtime so just like by definition they made it harder on themselves okay number three it was fourth and one they had just converted two fourth downs ku's run defense wasn't stopping anyone and ku was going to be in soft coverage not wanting to give up a touchdown If they get that first down, they can just take three free shots at the end zone and then kick the same field goal that they were going to take anyway. So literally by lining up, getting a yard, calling timeout, they would just get three chances at a game-winning touchdown. All right. Fourth reason is the analytics one. Coaches do this all the time. They play for the field goal like this. And this is why there's a ton of data out there that says it's better to be up three in a game than up four, five, or six. And this is the exact reason. That sounds crazy, right? You would say, no, you just have to defend the touchdown. No, coaches are cowards. And when they're only down three, they settle for that field goal. And here's the thing, that field goal has to go in. Then you have to get a stop. Then you have to get another stop in overtime. Then you have to score in overtime. That's four things you have to do versus just going and getting a touchdown. And let's say, let's put some random numbers on this. There's an 80% chance of making that field goal. There's an 80% chance of getting that stop. 50-50 shot you win in overtime. By just lining up to kick that field goal, you've given yourself a 30% chance to go and win the football game you you, by making that decision you basically said two out of three times we are automatically losing just because I lined up for this so those are the four reasons kicker had missed twice overtime is where they were in the field analytics hate it and they could have had three free shots at the end zone Derek what are you thinking what's the worst reason
0: uh I think honestly I mean it's it's really all four but if you're a gut guy, you're going with number one is the worst reason. But I, I do think it is the fourth reason because I, I talked about this yesterday on like the what-if portion, and I, I kind of got to a point of what if Iowa State didn't mess up that PAT snap? <laughs> because think about it, because then instead of it being 14-8 to or in eventually 14-11, 14-11, it's 14-7 and then 14-10, and then it's taken out of his hands. He would have had to gone for it there, and they might have won the game. Who knows? So I, I, I think I'll go with the fourth option.
1: Yeah. Well, Derek, let me, let me ask you this. When, if you were, if you're Kansas, it's fourth and one, wouldn't you want them to kick that field goal? You'd be like, yes, Iowa state, please kick the field goal with your shaky kicker to tie. Don't try and win the game with a touchdown right here. Right. If you're Kansas, it gives you so many more ways to win that football game. And that just kind of underscores, like I, I, I get the logic of, Hey, we're down three. Hey, we're in field goal range. Let's kick the field goal but it was fourth and one. There was a minute left and you, there's no ties here. Like getting to overtime doesn't get you half a win. You still might lose the game. And so I, I just thought at the time I said this before the ball was snapped, Um, talking in the press box, just people next to me. I said, this is one of the worst football probability decisions you can make. And it's why the data would tell you again, it's better to be up three than four because the other team's coach will play conservative and go for that field goal and field goals. Aren't a guarantee that that strategy never works out.
0: I'm just waiting for a team to be up five and and intentionally take a safety to be like, nope, we're only up three. We're good. (laughs)
1: It's the two point. It's like you score a touchdown to go up three and then you intentionally miss the extra point because you don't want to go up four. I've advocated for that before just because, again, opposing coaches are cowards.
0: Well, Scott. Oh, wait, I I just got a uh, page from the I have a pager from the uh, committee. Nathaniel Hackett has somehow trying to steal the award from Matt Campbell. So I, I don't know where that goes but uh you know, I guess his streak is it.
1: over his, his streak is over it was three it was two weeks in a row for nathaniel hackett and then last week we all remember it was nathaniel hackett's special decisions coach uh was the worst coach of the week he gets an honorable mention this week but he does not win the award
0: well scott appreciate your time as always you can check him out with booth review and kansas city sports network thanks for coming on thanks for having me That was Scott Chasen. You can also catch him with Booth Review with Kansas City Sports Network. Coming up on tomorrow's show, we will share a conversation as a uh, part of Locked On Big 12 getting to preview the KUTCU game from kind of both sides of things. That'll be for tomorrow's edition of Locked on Jayhawks. If you have anything you'd like for the show to talk about or want to follow along on the action, you can reach out at Johnson Radio on Twitter. And don't forget to subscribe to the show so you're getting all the latest with Locked on Jayhawks. That'll do it for today's episode. Have a good rest of your day. I'll see some of you on Rock Chalk Sports Talk later today. Adios.